0: This is Barry Adams. Welcome to my Law Made Easy podcast. I'm an attorney in California, and today I'm talking about Estate Plan Basics, the four building blocks to a successful estate plan. This is a short version of my earlier podcast with the same title. So if you want to have more detailed information, please refer to my earlier podcast. Uh, you can listen to this podcast first and then uh, listen to the more detailed podcast or you can just listen to the more detailed podcast. It's totally up to you. I would say that my other podcast is about 28 minutes long, and this one is about six minutes long, so um, you can make your choice. So let me tell tell you about the four building blocks to a successful estate plan. They are the trust, the will, the durable power of attorney, and the advanced health care directive. My talk today is going to assist you in understanding the basics of an estate plan so you can put an appropriate estate plan in place to protect you and your loved ones. My goal with all of my podcasts is to demystify legal matters and give you information that is straightforward and clear. Thus, we call it Law Made Easy. It may not be simple, but we do want to make it a lot easier for you. I want to avoid the legalese, and I want to explain legal topics in everyday English so you can make the best decisions in legal matters. Let's start with the premise that everyone needs an estate plan. First of all, you don't want the state to decide your estate plan for you. If you don't have an estate plan, the state will do that. How do they do that? It's not that they will get all of your property, it's that they will decide who your nearest and dearest are based upon bloodlines. So, if you don't get along with certain people that are your closest relatives, you especially don't want this. In any event, you want yourself to decide rather than the state. Also, you need to let your family know what you want. That's one of the purposes of you doing your own estate plan. You don't want to have them guessing about what you wanted or thinking back to discussions they had with you many years ago about what you wanted. Things change, so you want to make sure you put it in writing and that you appoint a proper person to be the decision maker for you in carrying out your wishes. The Doing your own state plan gives you the right to choose who's in charge. You're the one that selects them. And then you may have discussions specifically with that person after you've done the written document. But you want to make sure you do it in writing. Another reason to have an estate plan is that it avoids conflict because the family knows that these are your wishes. It's in a written document. It's properly notarized or witnessed, whatever legal formalities need to be taken care of in your state. So therefore, your family knows that this was what you wanted. They may not like it, but they know it, and that often avoids conflict. And finally, as mentioned above, unintended consequences of intestate succession, that's just a fancy term for dying without a will, are avoided. That means that you decide who gets your assets, rather than the state deciding based upon its own interpretation of what you would have wanted if you had a will. Well, you can take um, that out of the equation by doing your will and or trust. Okay, so let's go right to the four building blocks of a proper estate plan. The number one building block is the trust. The trust is really um, has really supplanted in most states uh, the will, and we'll talk about a will also. But the bottom line is this. You're going to need a trust if you have any real property or if you have more than $150,000 in cash. That's California rules. Uh, you should talk to an attorney in your state about what those rules are. Um, so and what a living trust is, it's a way of transferring assets to a trust so that you avoid probate. The advantage of avoiding probate is that it's a time-consuming process that makes all of your assets and your will public. And it also is something that's, that's expensive and involves the court in your personal business and can uh, result in uh, a significant amount of delay and upset to your relatives. So, the reason we do the living trust is to avoid that kind of situation. So, the trust for people with any significant amount of money has supplanted the will. Now, Has it totally supplanted the will? No, not exactly. And we'll talk about the will next, the number two building block. So in situations where people don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of money, or you don't have real property, then you can just do a simple will. That will pass um, your assets to your beneficiaries without the need for probate. Now in situations where we have a living trust, as, as talked about before, the revocable living trust, we still want a will. Why do we want a will? I thought you said a trust substitutes for a will. Well, the reason is that there are certain assets that we won't transfer to the trust while you're alive because of tax and other reasons. Therefore, this pour-over will uh, will catch those assets and pour them into your trust after your death. And so it's a, it's a necessary thing. It will also catch... Assets which you may have inadvertently forgotten to put in your trust. So it's an important part uh, of your estate plan when you have a trust, but in almost all situations you're not going to need to probate that will because you'll make sure it doesn't have real property in it or more than $150,000 in assets. The third building block is durable power of attorney. What I recommend is a springing, durable power of attorney. What that means is that this durable power of attorney, uh, everybody pretty much knows what a power of attorney is. This durable power of attorney springs into effect, like a, uh, a wind-up toy, uh, when you need it. When do you need it? When you can't make your own decisions. So this springing power of attorney comes into effect when your doctor, one or two doctors, says, hey, Jim just isn't able to make his own decisions. He has a mental illness or a stroke or dementia, and, he, and he's no longer capable of handling his affairs. That's when the agent, also called an attorney in fact, under your power of attorney, starts making decisions for you. What kind of decisions do they make? Well, if it's broad enough, they can make any kind of decision for you including paying your bills, receiving money, selling assets, borrowing, etc. So you really need to make sure you have someone who you can trust to do that. And it's an important legal document because it avoids a conservatorship, which is sort of the equivalent of probate uh, in the event that you become incapacitated. So it's an important uh, legal document that avoids uh, a very cumbersome and expensive um court proceedings. So it's similar to the trust in that sense. It avoids the state and judges getting involved in paying your bills and doing things like that. So that's the third building block. Let's go to the fourth building block. It's the advanced health care directive. It's similar to the durable power of attorney because it also springs into effect generally when you're not able to make your own decisions. Once again, your doctor confirms that you can't make medical decisions on your behalf. Therefore, it's also known as a medical power of attorney. So what does this mean? You need to select somebody that you feel is capable to make healthcare decisions for you in the case that you are not able. These could be very difficult decisions, of course. They can be decisions about pulling the plug. They can be decisions about should some exploratory or experimental surgery be done for you when you're not capable of doing it. It could be a temporary lack of capacity. Maybe you were in a serious accident and you're just simply unconscious or in a coma, but that you may be able to be brought out of it. Those are the kinds of decisions that could be made for the advanced healthcare directive agent. Other ones are pulling the plugs, artificial hydration, What do you want done for you as you age and become infirm? Feeding tubes, all the things that medical science brings us that many people uh, find troubling and uh, certainly don't want to have in their lives. Other people have differing views on that. So you need to find an agent who can make those decisions that are in keeping with your morals, values, uh, and ideas. uh, And you need to put them in your advanced health care directive as an agent. You need to fill out that paperwork and get this done. And you want to communicate as much information as possible to this agent so that they're comfortable making those decisions. If you have unusual requests, if you are very concerned about what kind of medical care you're going to get, you need to communicate that to your agent or your prospective agent. And you communicate as much as you can in the document itself, but you can also put a letter or verbally tell uh, that person information that you think is going to be helpful. So again, communicate uh, most information you can to your agents so they feel comfortable making these difficult decisions. It could be about pulling the plug, stopping hydration, whatever it is, you want to make sure that they're comfortable doing it so that they um, will be able to do it. And also you need to think about who's the best person to do this. Somebody that will make those tough decisions that won't freeze up and won't say, I can't go through with this. I can't pull the plug on mom or dad. I can't do it. So you need to make sure you've discussed this with them and they're comfortable doing it in the right circumstance. You don't want somebody that's going to be overly eager to to pull the plug on you either. That is not uh, going to be good the minute they see you have the flu, they're over there trying to uh, administer something. So you don't want that. I'm teasing a little bit, but there are situations where people have facilitated other people's demise through either not seeking medical care or making decisions that aren't in the person's best interest. So those are the four building blocks. Some related issues that I'm just going to touch on is that when it comes to the funding the trust, one of the most important aspects of it is transfers. What does that mean? You need to transfer assets to your trust to ensure that your trust can act upon those assets. This is particularly true when it comes to real estate. Uh, and if you don't make proper transfers, you'll end up with probate anyway, which is a Sort of a wasted exercise on the money that you paid on that living trust if you didn't get the assets to the trust. The second one is picking a fiduciary. now this is particularly applicable to the trust situation, but it is all four of these building blocks you need to pick the appropriate fiduciary. If you listen to my longer uh, program or you listen to my program on on your on picking a trustee. You'll get more information about the kind of uh, aspects, integrity qualities when you're picking these fiduciaries. You need to look at the appropriate qualities that are needed, time available, skills, etc. And like I say, we'll talk. We talked more about that in another uh, podcast. Finally, another related issue is beneficiary designation. So you have these four building blocks. But you also need to make sure that these building blocks, particularly the will and the trust, are in concert with beneficiary designations. What do I mean by that? A beneficiary designation is something like an IRA or 401k life insurance pay on death account. That means that you specifically name a beneficiary. I go to my whoever handles my IRA, let's say it's Charles Schwab, and say, hey, I need to put down my spouse or my child as a beneficiary. Well, what happens when you die? They are notified, Charles Schwab, and they send out forms. And that beneficiary then gets that money. So that needs to be coordinated to make sure that your estate plan as a whole is in concert to the extent of monies you want to get to people. In other words, if everything is in your IRA and you do a will that leaves everything to person Y And then you leave your IRA to person X, you have to look at that. Is that fair? Is that really what you wanted? Sometimes people get caught up in their will and trust and forget that maybe the bulk of their assets are in in these designation accounts. In other words, accounts that are self-executed such that upon your death, the beneficiaries get that money. Um, so that we, you need to look at that for the IRAs, the 401ks, life insurance, and pay on death. And pay on death just means you have a bank account. It says your name, Joe Smith. But then there's a part of your signature card. There's a clause that says, upon my death, pay out this account to my son, Billy. Well, those things are effective, and they will override any of your other estate planning. So if you have a will that says, I leave everything to my gardener, Uh, and then your beneficiary designation leaves everything to your housekeeper, the beneficiary designations are going to trump that will or trust. I know that's sometimes hard to believe that something you sign with a bank is going to override your will, but it actually does happen that way, except in very rare instances, which are probably not going to apply to you. So make sure that you look at the, the whole package when you're doing your estate plan. So this is my short version of the podcast Estate Plan Basics, The Four Building Blocks to a Successful Estate Plan. I'll just mention again that the four building blocks uh, to a successful estate plan are the Living Trust, the Will, Durable Power of Attorney, and the Advanced Healthcare Directive. Thank you for listening today, and I hope that you found informative uh, advice on the Law Made Easy podcast.